Hello, and welcome to The Staffing Show, the only podcast that delivers tools, tips, and tactics from the staffing and recruiting industry's top executives and thought leaders. This episode is brought to you by Staffing Referrals, the only automated referral management platform chosen by smart staffing firms. Tired of wasting money on traditional job boards? Sick of reminding recruiters about promoting your referral program? Wish you could eliminate admin work spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews? That's where Staffing Referrals comes in. Imagine transforming your entire talent pool into digital recruiters on behalf of your company. Think about how happy you'll make your team by eliminating wasted time spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews. There's a reason that Staffing Referrals is one of the fastest-growing software platforms in our industry. It's because staffing executives want to scale faster by automating recruiting processes. It's because with Staffing Referrals, you can actually see an ROI. And it's because our world is now more digital than ever, and your candidates expect you to keep up. Don't get passed by the competition. Stop missing referrals and start recruiting smarter. Get staffing referrals and improve your tech stack today. To claim one free month, visit www.staffingreferrals.com slash show. That's staffingreferrals.com slash show. Hi, and welcome to the Staffing Show. We're here with Sajal Shaw, the CEO of Total Med. Thanks so much for joining us today, Sajal. Hey, thanks for having me. So I just wanted to jump right in and start with what's on so many people's minds right now and talk a little bit about the pandemic, especially because Total Med is a healthcare staffing firm and you're working with a lot of healthcare pros who are maybe on the front lines or really close to what's going on. And so I was wondering how has your business changed in light of the pandemic over these past six months? Yeah, it's really interesting. I should say, not only has it changed in so many ways, really more, it's just we've experienced so many new things that we haven't quite Mm -hmm. experienced before. And I think the change that came about from all of those new experiences were just new perspectives on what could happen, what we can do, what our organization was very good at, and what where our areas of improvement. So I guess I'm kind of answering it a little bit differently than what you're asking. But just to kind of jump into it, the first obvious thing was employees working remote, right? Like <laughs> we had pretty much, I would say, 80 to 90% of the technology set up to allow us to do that across all departments. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's always that 10 to 20 where you're working on things that you just hadn't predicted, right? But the second Mm -hmm. piece of it was just there are different challenges when you have a remote workforce versus not. And there is a segment of the workforce that, you know, they have a hard time working remote, Mm -hmm. whether it be distractions, whether it be the lack of having people around you to keep Mm -hmm. you you know, focused. Sometimes I think people struggle with separating that personal couch TV time with, (laughs) (laughs) I need to sit down and focus and get my work done, right? And, you know, I'm saying there's a segment. I'm not saying all or none. I'm just saying there's different segments of people on how they react. So, you know, working through all of those nuances, right? But the other component was how to manage remotely. Now you've got people, some people who just gravitated and excelled in that environment, and then you've got other people who didn't. Mm -hmm. And how do you try to help 
get them into that same mindset or same space. So I think that was a lot of the challenge. And what you're going to see when we open back up and we get everybody back in, you know, right now we're just voluntary work from home. We have enough space where if somebody needs to come in the office, they can. The Mm. option is there. All the systems, everything is set up. And there's proper social distancing, hand sanitizer, masks, et cetera. So it's a very safe environment. But it's voluntary. So uh, meaning it's voluntary work from home. If you want to work from home because of whatever, that's fine. We'll still support it. But as a company, you have to very much make sure that people still understand what those KPIs or those levels of productivity is. And that's, I think, the hard part sometimes in figuring out how to get people into that zone, for lack Mm -hmm. of better words. What has been helpful for you guys in sort of bridging that gap or sort of keeping that? Because I know that Total Med has a really tight culture and you guys are really close. You have a really good work environment. So how have you sort of like kept that, that closeness remotely? Or I'm sure it's been a challenge. Yeah, frankly, it's been tough. It's been tough. We've tried to tell managers, keep the same cadence. Let's say you have a morning huddle. Still do your morning huddle, but use Mm -hmm. Zoom. Have people keep their cameras on so that they're engaged. Yeah. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Stuff like that. It's not been something we've done like company-wide, but we've empowered departments to do this. So like I know some would do like social hour, right? Think of it like a happy hour. You can play different types of games online via Zoom, you know, with each other, get to know Mm -hmm. each other. Early on when the weather was cold, we were doing a lot of that. I think when the weather got warmer, people wanted to kind of postpone and enjoy the good weather and get outside. But I think it's like everything else, you know, there is this component where it's just tougher. It really is. And honestly, like I think when this goes back, a big segment of the office will come back. I have this mm-hmm. feeling because they really do miss that piece of it, but we'll see. Yeah. It's absolutely tougher. And it seems to be tougher the longer it goes on. You know, I think that there was like a kind of optimism that held us through for a while. And now I think a lot of people are just really feeling, really just feeling it it's still happening, it's still going on, you know? So. Well, you know, it's interesting. You said the culture, right? So mm-hmm. typically the culture that we build, it's really based off of core values. It's not like we say, okay, our culture is ping pong tables and all that stuff. No, what we're doing is we're looking to find people that have these four characteristics inherently. It's not something mm-hmm. they aspire to. We try to find people with those four characteristics inherently. Mm-hmm. And if we can get enough people in a room together with those characteristics, that's what creates your culture. That's been the tough part is now looking and seeing that and saying, now that we have this remote workforce, before there was this big you know, group of people together that shared the same core values who yeah. create this great work environment, and now everybody's spread apart. So where is Mm -hmm. that energy of the masses? And in our Mm -hmm. business, staffing business specifically, it's kind of known for that. We've all had remote workforces, right? We've always had some, Mm -hmm. for instance, some recruiters that work remotely, but that was more of the few than the many. And now we're kind of switching to the many versus the few. 
Mm-hmm. So it'll be an interesting adjustment to see how does this culture adjust. Maybe we start to figure out more quickly, you know, because you hire people mm-hmm. initially based upon thinking they have these core values. And then over time, mm-hmm. you start to realize, well, maybe these aren't more inherent to who they are. Maybe this remote work environment might expose that even quicker or in a different mm-hmm. way. Like one of our core values is internally driven. Everybody tells you in an interview, right? You try to do it through interviewing and screening and references and stories to find out, is this person truly internally driven? Then you're in the office and you've got this kind of energy of the masses Mm -hmm. that can help you, right? Well, what happens when you're sitting there by yourself in your home? That's when you find out if you're actually internally driven. (laughs) You're just alone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not a good or bad thing. I'm just saying it just... It sure. helps to go show. And now, if it's not, if you're not, what do you need to do to get there? What are you going to do about it? Where is yeah. your drive to address that? And if you don't have the drive to address that, well, then you're not built for remote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or we're not the right organization for you. You know, it's just a reality. It's an interesting how, challenge that we're dealing with right now. How has it been for your travel nurses? And what have you guys done to sort of replicate that culture or sort of keep them in the fold? Because they've always been, in a sense, remote or at least remote from your recruiting team since they're always out in the field. But now they're facing this pandemic. So many of your nurses are on the front lines. What has it been like working from that perspective? Yeah, I mean, you know, I can't even imagine the type of stress Mm -hmm. and what they're having to deal with. But one of the things that we've always prided ourselves on is that that relationship, that customer service. And so our recruiters, we actually measure engagement, not only internally, mm-hmm. but with nurses. And part of that means what is the connection that recruiter has with that nurse? How are they helping to be there in whatever fashion mm-hmm. they can? You know, sometimes it's as simple as just listen. You're having a bad day and somebody wants to vent and you're just there to listen. And sometimes it's about finding ways to help. And so mm-hmm. I guess it's one of those things that I think that's inherent to us mm-hmm. being in this space. It's something mm-hmm. we've always done. And so, you know, I just don't know if that has changed as much, whereas yeah. it's just been probably more amped up. Yeah. So I guess even before the pandemic, your nurses were often facing life or death situations or stressful situations. It's part of why people admire nurses so much is they're on the front lines all the time, even when there's not a global pandemic going on. So in order to be a healthcare staffing firm that has people who feel like they're family, I guess you've always had to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There is not only the physical toll of the job, but there is a mental toll of the job. And, mm-hmm. you know, the pandemic is kind of like that pressure cooker you, you mentioned earlier. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's even more difficult. And so, you know, the nice thing is, is that when you think about it, like you hire the right recruiters, you hire the right, you know, teams. And inherently, that's part of it is taking care of the nurse, taking care of mm-hmm. your, the people that are out there. And so mm-hmm. I'd like to think that, you know, we do a really good job of that and it's paramount to who we are. Mm-hmm. In fact, we actually measure and incentivize people, our recruiters and our staff, our internal team on 
the service. And so when those ratings aren't there or when, when we don't see that level, we're not only all over it, but it's part of the training and development for our team to say this mm-hmm. is not a negotiable. Yeah, it, I've long gotten the sense that you guys, as a community is really important and that you build not just an agency, but a community. And there's been, this is related, there's been so much discussion in the industry lately around diversity and inclusion. And it seems to me that that is part of your definition of community and of fostering community. But I wonder from your experience, how has the industry changed in its relationship to diversity and inclusion in the past six months or so now that it's been such a top of mind issue? Yeah, so we're a minority owned organization, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> minority, so, um, so yes, we are. And, you know, I think our hiring process is in such a way where we're looking for the right people, regardless of any race, color, mm-hmm. creed, whatever the case may be, right? I would, you know, say that we have a pretty diverse workforce. And, and you know, frankly, in some of our office, yes, and in other offices, there could be more, you know? Mm-hmm. I think in the last six months, what's really came about from all of this is that you can always do more. And mm-hmm. it's often easy to get into a, well, everything's all right, into a comfortable zone, so to speak. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. The and, status and it's quo. The status quo, right. And I think in the last six months, it's definitely caused us to say, okay, hold on, let's be more forward and more proactive with it. And so, we actually created a, and you know, I can't take all the credit for it, but can't take any of the credit, to be honest, just other than the fact that I was excited to see, you know, you talk about having internally driven people, a group of people got together and, and said, let's create a diversity and inclusion committee. And, you know, part of that committee was to really kind of continue the conversation, right? And to mm-hmm. kind of use different learnings from, you know, different approaches and say, hey, let's talk to everybody about what this means, what's going on. Mm -hmm. Let's try to create a safer environment for people to say what they're thinking, to ask Mm -hmm. those uncomfortable questions. You know, it's unfortunate right now. I feel like it's a very tough time to talk because there is this big Mm -hmm. movement towards suppression of speech. And mm-hmm. so a lot of people have questions, but they're afraid to ask because yeah. they're afraid to be condemned. How dare you ask that question? And, yeah, get it you know, wrong, I, I got to tell you, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the thing is, is that, you know, it's all different approaches, right? Every organization, mm-hmm. every person, every team, whatever the case may be, has a choice on how do they want to approach this. I kind of went against the convention and I was excited to see that I had a committee of people that volunteered that felt the same way and wanted to push that agenda. And that's why I can't take the credit for it. It's just how I felt. And then I got lucky that I had a committee of people that felt the same way. And they're like, you know, I remember when we were onboarded here, we had a five dysfunctions of of a team training session. And through that Mm -hmm. process, it was a very valuable, what we learned about each other and, how it made us a better team. And they said, could we take some of those principles and help promote a conversation across the entire organization? And it's not done in one big group. It's done Mm -hmm. in small groups. And we kind of started with the top and then we worked our way to the different teams. It's still in progress, but 
it's something we're trying, right? Trust me, so, for every three people or four people that applaud you for that, there's going to be one or two people who say, this is wrong. You right, should be doing right. this. It's not your right. job to teach someone or this or that, you know? And, sure. and you know what? I don't want to take that attitude. We have right. choices. And if I get condemned or slammed for it, so be it. I feel comfortable. I have questions. Everybody yeah. has questions. And I'm not looking to sit around and teach everybody everything. What I'm trying to do is create comfort, comfortable zones for you to ask those questions. And, yeah. and thankfully, we have a ton of people who are willing to talk about it. Well, and it so, sounds like you built a culture in which that's possible. I think that a lot of organizations are struggling because they don't have a culture built in which it feels even safe to ask these questions or to take the initiative to start these committees. So I feel like you sort of checked that first box, which is so essential of creating a culture in which it's possible yeah. to ask tough questions, even if it doesn't, even if can, can I, people don't believe, you know, the, I, I, yeah. I have a lot of peers who have mm-hmm. great cultures. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, many of them want to just avoid it. Mm-hmm. And when I ask them about that, why do you want to avoid it? And they're like, I'm opening up exposure to being slammed. Are you seeing what's happening out there mm-hmm. every day today? Mm-hmm. You say mm-hmm. one thing wrong and it could hurt your business. It people, could, are it could, yeah. people are afraid to really have real conversations because there's this movement towards, mm-hmm. I don't know why. I just don't know why. Well, how did this happen? When did this happen? But, you yeah. know, and so I talk to a lot of my peers and I tell them, well, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to say because it is a tough time. I mean, you've spent your entire life building something and God forbid somebody says or asks the wrong question and how that could do it. but. This is where I, I just said, sometimes if you've built the right team and the right organization, at least they'll know where you're coming from. That's the only impact that you can really make sometimes. Is a buddy of mine explained to me, because at first I wasn't even sure. And he kind of told me, he goes, you know, here's the difference. You have a platform. Mm. You have all of these employees that believe in you. Most of them know you. They know the type of person and your intent. Mm-hmm. So by you taking that step and opening that up versus some just canned statement, right? <laughs> you opening up that conversation, there's going to be a seven of those people that you might actually change or you might get mm-hmm. them to just see something else that they don't see. And if you can do that, that's a win. And that's what mm-hmm. it means to use your platform. So he actually mm-hmm. motivated me to have that company-wide conversation to kick it off. And Mm. I'm so glad I did it. Don't get me wrong. I had people call me and slam me for for how I delivered it, but it was me. It was sincere and what I felt and it is what it is. And I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here probably. Not at all. No, not at all. No, and I think you've laid out really eloquently what like the spheres in which people can make a difference right now, it's not necessarily a social media blast for these kinds of conversations. It's it's right in your home. It's right in your organization. It's right where you are. I think that's the most relevant, <laughs> you know? I said yeah. a lot of people think they have to make a big statement and it's really 
small conversations where change is made, I think. Right. You've given us a little insight into this already, but how would you describe your leadership style with your team? You know, it's interesting. I'm a big fan of empowering and collaboration mm-hmm. and giving everybody an opportunity to say their piece. And I know sometimes that can come off like leading by consensus, which it's, it's absolutely yeah. the farthest from. I am actually not leading by consensus. And I know sometimes, even some people in my own organization feel that way. The truth mm-hmm. of the matter is, is that I believe that when we bring people into this organization, we have an opportunity to develop them, you know, not only with a specific skill set, but, you know, professionally develop them and, and bring more content to them, more capabilities, more experiences and whatnot. And part of that is also an opportunity for them to really be more accountable and learn from decisions mm-hmm. they make. And so there are many times where we'll be processing issues and I'm confident that in 95% of the cases, the team will go through their process to come to a decision that I would have normally made anyways. Mm-hmm. But now by them going through that process and making that decision, they own it. They buy into it. They're passionate about executing on it, which mm-hmm. then increases your likelihood of success. And even if it's not a perfect plan or the best plan, I've seen situations where there were plans that there were approaches or plans that I knew were probably somewhat flawed, but because they were executed with passion and accountability, Mm -hmm. I've seen more of those come to success and fruition than the other. So here's the reality of it. Even when you go down a path and there's mistakes, there's a reality that if the team owns it, they will learn from it, adjust to it. And now guess what? The second time they're going to now be involved in another decision, they're going to go through and say, how do I make sure not to miss this up? You know, miss mm-hmm. this piece. Yeah. Or how could I have uncovered this from the beginning? And so there's a certain development that comes through that. And so it also requires a fair amount of patience. By the way, I've gone on a... <laughs> <laughs> a huge journey because when you first start the business you are just all about every decision you live and die on right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. part of growing as a leader is sometimes learning how to quote-unquote let go and what that means patience what that means sometimes eating those mistakes yeah but then making sure that we evolve from there right and so and the truth mm-hmm. of the matter is in the long run there rarely are mistakes that, let's just say, crush you, so to speak, right? You're going to totally. make mistakes that can be costly, but you should always be able to overcome those. And so, you know, you're teaching teams to not only be accountable and passionate, and not only are you increasing high probabilities of execution, but you're also, you know, I think teaching resiliency and being able to think. And so, yeah, I know we, we yeah. have meetings, we follow EOS and it's an actual like mm-hmm. operating system. And, you know, it's, it's nice because it gives us some structure. It's a process for us to start to get managers to go down the same evolution. And so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, yeah. but. No, totally. Um, and yeah. I wanted to pick up on this thread about the value of mistakes and sort of 
the real sort of sandbox for learning that these mistakes can be. Do you have a failure or an apparent failure that you feel like set you up for later success? How many are there? There's so many. Look, let me start by saying one thing here. Here's the interesting piece. If I tell somebody, this is what you need to do and how you do it, okay? Mm -hmm. And then if it doesn't work out, many times they'll say, well, I did what you told me to and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. But if you turn around and you say, here's a situation you haven't dealt with, what do you think? And then you just stack. And you mm-hmm. can ask three good questions around them to really get them to think through the solution. Like I said, 90% of the time, they're probably going to be very similar to what you would have said, or they'll come up with something mm-hmm. new and unique that you hadn't thought of. And mm-hmm. you're go, great. Now, here's the reality of it if it doesn't work out, they're not going to sit there and say, hey, it's your fault. Most of the time, they're going to say, man, this didn't work out. Mm. But here's something else I learned in the process. I'm going to try this. What do you think? Give it a shot. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's so hard. So when you talk about what are some of those mistakes, I think one was I alluded to earlier. In the beginning, I was so, you know, military style over every single decision in the organization. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a mistake. You know, it took time to kind of learn and evolve from there because, you know, when you first start out, every dime is so important. Every mistake is even more costly. Right. And you don't even know that. if you're going to have a business. Yeah, every decision yeah. is like You don't even know if you're going to have a business six months from now or a year from now or two years from now. You just have hope right? You have, <laughs> you have hope in, and, and belief in yourself and, and the people that you bring together. And so I think that there is that balance. And as you start to grow, the hardest part is all those people that you grew with, realizing that they've grown as well. And mm-hmm. it's okay to let go and trust them to make decisions. And then when they make mistakes, try not to eat their lunch, you know, and right. it's hard. That's an evolution. Yeah. That's an evol- that's, we all evolve professionally and we all develop professionally and that was part of it. And so that's probably one of the, the biggest things I look at in hindsight and go, man, I wish I could have done that a little differently in some of those cases. Well, maybe this next question is related then, maybe not. But so in the past five years or, or say, I guess, 13 years since you've been CEO of Total Med, is there a belief or behavior or habit that you feel like has most improved your life? Yeah, it's hard to say what's the best or the most. I can tell you okay. there's a bunch. <laughs> um, there's a bunch. And it seems like every day there's another one. <laughs> but uh, I would say just getting perspective on, you know, if I had to pick a saying, it's called don't sweat the small stuff or whatnot. But mm-hmm. just that perspective that... It's not the end of the world. Mm, you know what I mm-hmm, mean? Mm-hmm. A mistake was made. It's just not the end of the world. Listen, yeah. we're, we're going to be fine. We're going to figure this out. We're going to move forward. In the long run, this will just be a blip. Right now, it's the biggest thing. This thing is mm-hmm. a, it, it's like the biggest chaotic thing that's happening and, <laughs> and at this very moment. But, you know, yeah. if you can get that perspective that, hey, five years from now, 10 years from now, you know, this will just be a little blip. This will be a great start, you know, and you will have learned something from it. Maybe you'll be laughing about it or you'll be talking about it over a beer. And remember when 
and how we overcame that. And yeah, man, you know, you're going to remember the people that kind of helped you get through it. But yeah, I would say that's probably one of the things that's been most important to me, especially in the last, I would say, three years, mm-hmm. two to three years. It's been one of the things I, I catch myself getting into those, let's just call it where I'm, I feel like I'm going to be blowing something way out of proportion or I'm, I catch myself getting, whether it's angry or, you know, whatever the case may be. And then I just have to pause mm-hmm. and tell myself, hold on, hold on. And don't get me wrong. It's not that easy. Like, it's like a roller coaster of emotions. So like, <laughs> I'll be on one opposite end and then I'll try I'll be like, well, hold on, hold on. This is, remember, in the whole scheme of things, hopefully this is just a little blip. Don't worry. Yeah. I'll be good for about four days and then it'll rear its ugly head again and I'll just be like, ah! you know, and then, and then, I'll, and then I'll four call days myself again. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's, it, and I, what I mean is it's like this roller coaster of emotions. Yeah. And, yeah. and then you get like, I don't know, maybe 30, 60 days into it and then you're fine, you know? Yeah. And this was for a yeah. big major issue, right? So that's sure. kind of what I'm talking about is that there are, it's that uh, piece of it where I don't want to yeah. make it sound like it's easy and like, you know, I'm some, I have Zen or something. No, <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally an emotional roller coaster battle that I'm having internally in my head all the time and just trying to get some sort of sense or semblance or balance to realizing yeah. there's bigger things in life to sweat about. And also that maybe these things that seem so difficult or like a failure or, or whatever actually might turn out in unexpected ways to be better than your plan or better than you expected or, you know, take you somewhere you didn't expect. So I also wish like I've, I've tried to do that in my own life too, to not sweat things so much. And then I I realized, you know, like, I think I know what's going to happen, but certainly didn't expect there to be a global pandemic this year. I had much different plans for 2020. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you, you know, if there's, if there's one year that's, you know, in, in my lifetime, I should say, I shouldn't say in everybody's mm-hmm. lifetime, but in my, you know, let's call it my adult mm-hmm. lifetime, is, is the one thing that this pandemic has done is it's given us a test of our resiliency, right? Mm-hmm. And our ability to overcome, adapt and overcome. And, mm-hmm. it, and it comes in all forms, right? It's also given you an opportunity to take a look at your team. And mm-hmm. see who rose up to that occasion and who didn't, and where is there opportunities for development or betterment? Because, you know, it could be something else tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be anything yeah. tomorrow. And so, mm-hmm. this was one of those fire drills that actually occurred, and you got a chance to see how well did everybody, how quickly did everybody get out of the, <laughs> you know, get out, yeah. get out of the building, yeah. and how efficiently and effectively and. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. it, you learn a lot from that and you just hope to say, okay, you know, well, how could we have done this better? So there's yeah. time for that. And, you know, that's the whole thing. It's just that, yeah, like I said, it's, you're going down this path. It's a journey, right? Everybody said building a business yeah. is a journey. It's not just the end outcome. When it's all said and done, it's like, you know how you always hear those football players who are retired and they say, you know, the wins and all that was great, but the time that I missed the most was being in that huddle, right? Yeah. Being with those yeah. players. I think, you know, in business or when you're running a business, it's, it's a lot of the same stuff, right? And if you, and yeah. 
you start to think about, man, yeah, that journey, the people that we went through and did this with. Don't get me wrong, the end outcome in the scoreboard, you know, matters. Matters, yeah. It does matter, but it's that journey that you tend to remember the most. Maybe this is related. I mean, you've spoken to this a lot already, but what do you think firms and the industry can do to sort of strengthen themselves as the pandemic continues? You know, from a tactical standpoint, you know, just some of the basic things is relook at your business and start thinking about how do you do it remotely, right? How do you train and develop and hire remotely? Mm. Do you have the technologies and the tools to enable that? Do you have the processes? That's just from a tactical standpoint. But I think also from a strategic standpoint, everybody needs to be taking a look at, okay, what could I have done differently? Did I dive deep enough into my customer base? Mm-hmm. to figure out what pains. If they didn't need this specific modality of staffing, they still had other pains. Mm-hmm. And I really know my customers well enough to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Did I know my customers well enough to look under and say, is there any other way I can add value or help you guys through this time period? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's something that I think was exposed for us is that in some cases we had good salespeople or account managers that had great relationships and were on top of that. And in other areas, I found that they weren't. They were doing a good job of processing orders and whatnot, but were they asking those questions or were they even comfortable to ask those questions? And so, Mm. I mean, those are opportunities to kind of take a look at and there might be some training and development around that. There might be opportunities to say, you know, could we have pivoted into other areas that our approach and skill sets that we have could still help, you know, for a lack of better words, I think that there's something there and I'm just taking the time to really go through that and process that as a team and could be valuable. Yeah. I hope that answers your question. No, that definitely does. And I was just thinking that it is another way that you're sort of pointing out how the pandemic has, simultaneously expose weaknesses or areas that need to be improved or grown and really given so much opportunity for resilience and creative solutions, you know, problem solving on the fly. It's stressful and exciting. And and it seems like you're pointing at new ways that staffing firms can sort of think on their feet and really anticipate client need, which has probably always been a good thing to have and extremely valuable, but the pandemic sort of forced your hand in this way, in a way that yeah. seems like it could lead to positive growth, you know? Too often we might get comfortable with the status quo. And it's hard when everything is going as planned or good enough mm-hmm. <laughs> to sit yeah. there and start thinking outside the box or to think like this and looking at how your team reacted during this period of time might be able to give you a pulse on areas that you need to develop or focus and focus development. Yeah. This may be tricky to answer because no one really knows, but from where you sit, where do you see the staffing industry headed in the next couple of years? In what terms? In in like Mm. just the industry as a whole or? Yeah. How do you see the industry recovering and responding to I guess, to get more specific, a post-pandemic world. How do you think the pandemic is going to change the industry when we're on the other side of it? Well, 
first of all, I feel that when you take a look at what's happening, right? Typically, when you go through things like this, whether it be the 08, when we had Mm -hmm. the crash at that time, uh, Mm -hmm. or something like this happening, I think, you know, the government's been pumping a lot of money to try to put Mm -hmm. stimulus back into the economy, right? And so I think what you're going to kind of see is obviously come back, right? Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. normally they say that there's like this cycle, right? This recession, (laughs) you know, recession. So there's a cycle, right? This economic cycle. And we've kind of been in a prolonged one. For the last probably four years, I've been waiting for a recession. (laughs) You listen to all these economists. (laughs) They're all telling you, well, we're due for a recession. But then you're kind of like, well, when's it coming? (laughs) You know, and so they've been just kind of like, like keep taking steps forward, but wait for it to happen. And so it's Mm -hmm. been interesting, you know, and and now we're there, right? Mm -hmm. And this pandemic kind of got us there. And and the question is, how long Mm -hmm. is it going to last? I can't predict this, but looking at how much money is being pumped back in and some of the things that are being done, I would say it could be anywhere from six months to three years that we're back out, you know, that's mm-hmm. a pretty big range, but I, right. you know, I'm actually kind of leaning more towards that, you know, less than two year mark that, but that being said for staffing, they're going to recover much quicker because yeah. And this is just logic and just some of the patterns I've seen is that when we're in a slowdown, people tend to want to use more temporary staff than permanent. Right. Because they want the flexibility to flex their staff up and down. And so you tend to see the staffing when we're in this, they're going to see a jump in that, especially in some different sectors. You know what I mean? So I personally feel that staffing is going to come out of this. It's like everything else. If you take a look at what happened to staffing in 08 and when they started coming back out, I think it's going to be kind of similar, just not as bad, but we're going to come out mm-hmm. quicker. SIA came out with some data recently that supports the hypothesis. Oh, really? Yeah, they project that the industry is going to be up by 12% next year. So, yeah. My unsubstantiated <laughs> logic and worked out. <laughs> yeah, you're you're back by Hopefully. the pros. Yeah. <laughs> back, right. Well, and here's the other thing that's coming out of it, right? Like it's definitely gonna push a ton of companies to relook at their infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. Their technology infrastructure. And relook at a lot of things to say, what if this happens again? It's like there's this yo yo effect too, right? So here you go, we just had this pandemic. The next time somebody gets sick somewhere again, there could be a little bit of a, oh no, right? It's all happening again. And so, you know, you're going to see, I think this, you know, is there going to be this volatility that's going to continue until we become comfortable again and and forget, so to speak, forget's the wrong word, but you know, become become comfortable with the status quo, as we used the word earlier. And, and so is that volatility of, our reactions, is that going to last for one year, three years? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. But yeah. knowing that, if you feel that that's going to happen, what are steps that you can take to help prepare? Mm-hmm. What are things that you can do to position your company that as you go through this volatility, or if say we go through another scare where we shut down economy, the economy or whatever that we do, 
What sure. can you continue to do to support and provide opportunity for your employees? Yeah, that seems to go back to really focusing on your sphere of influence and what you can do for the people in your organization, the people closest to you, rather than sort of thinking too broadly and trying, you know, no one in the staffing industry can kind of tackle the pandemic, but they can certainly grow an agile team that can respond to a highly fluctuating market, you know? Yeah. What are you looking forward to for total med in the coming quarters? Well, you know, you just don't know. Theoretically, okay, this is our busy season Q4. It's typically our, what we call our flu season. Flu season mm. is one of the big drivers in fourth quarter for increased demand, increased healthcare demand, right? Mm-hmm. And so you got to figure that, you know, I think initially when we had the shutdown, the first narrative was, hey, shut down so healthcare can catch up to support the increase in demand. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. The narrative has changed. And now it looks like it's coming back to that narrative, but I'm not exactly sure. There's so many theories out there of what could happen or what's going to happen. There's questions about a second wave, you know? So mm-hmm. are we going to see a second wave that's compounded by the flu season? So, you know, we're just preparing mm-hmm. right now in healthcare. We've seen numbers at the high end. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, not only have we seen numbers at the high end for pandemic-related needs, but we've seen a lot of those, what they refer to as non-essential needs. We've seen all of those open back up in hospitals as well. So this has been good. Now, the question is, what happens if there's, which there probably will be a second wave flare-up. Everybody's, yeah. I'm assuming people are expecting it. They talked about it back in March and April. So are we prepared for it? What are we going to do? You know, I think now we know more about COVID and we know more about the disease and we've seen it in different settings. And it's interesting to take those learnings and be prepared for it in in Mm. the fourth quarter. And so so to answer your question in a very long-winded way, which I just did, was, you know, I think that it's going to be very busy in healthcare. And so I think we're going to rebound here in the fourth quarter. And I think that this time hospitals are prepared. It, will they still shut down all the non-essentials? I, I don't know mm. if they will, but I don't know. I'm, I don't own a mm-hmm. hospital. I don't work in a hospital. I, I don't know. But just from mm-hmm. what I've been reading and gathering, it feels like they feel more prepared. They've got the PPE now. They're, they're mm. taking the protective measures. They understand how this disease is transmitted and they're taking the appropriate precautions. But you know, that's a better question for a hospital mm-hmm. CEO. <laughs> yeah. But it sounds like at least that as an agency and maybe as an industry too, staffing is ready if we see a sort of March 2.0 come around with a resurgence of the pandemic, we're better prepared, which which is a huge positive compared to where we were just six months ago that we can anticipate a little bit what this will be like. Yeah. And I know, I don't know, I've read and heard that a lot of those mobile hospitals are still up and running or operational or can be spun Mm -hmm. back up very quickly. So, Mm. you know, hopefully, like I'm in Chicago. I know Mm. McCormick was originally going to be a 3,000 bed hospital. I think they they stopped at 2,000. Now, I don't know if they took it down. I think it's still there. So I don't know. Ready. Sure, but, you know, ready. For instance, yeah. if there's a flare up, 
you've got a 2000 bed hospital ready, you know? Right. But like I said, I haven't paid attention and I probably should, but you know, hopefully that we learned a lot from the first time around. So when it happens the second time, hopefully we're a lot more aligned and prepared. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I think we are. I hope we are. Yeah. But. Well, Pedro, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Staffing Show. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at staffinghub.com to never miss an episode. Until next time.